Thanks, all of you, so much. Good morning. What a privilege to see all of you this morning. We have, how many of you have ever heard of Elder David A. Bednar? Yeah, he's a Mormon. And he was the president of BYU-Idaho. And he was at a meeting that was a fairly small group of people that represented his campus filled with 8,000 people, right? And they had received word just before he went to speak at this leadership meeting, there were a couple hundred young adults there, that a member of the First Presidency was coming in two days to the campus. They really didn't have a way to get the word out to everybody, but they thought it'd be a great tribute to a member of the First Presidency if everybody wore their Sunday best that day on campus. And when they went to meet a member of the First Presidency at a special assembly they were going to have. But Elder Bednar decided not to send out a message, not to make a public announcement. He just said, will each one of you text five of your friends and encourage them to text five of their friends and encourage them to text? That's what he said. And this group of people decided they were going to try to get the word out and see if they could influence, this was just an experiment, they had influenced the campus to dress in their Sunday best. So on Tuesday morning, he was fascinated when he came to campus to kind of see what had happened. Any guesses? Out of 8,000 people, 10 came without their Sunday best on. And they left and went home and changed. Because somehow they just didn't feel quite at home on campus, right? How do you influence 8,000 people in two days when you start with 200, right? The reason I'm telling you that story is because we have a great announcement this morning. Next week, because I'm not allowed to be here, I'm going to be in Georgia. We don't want to stop this wonderful opportunity from happening. So I called one of my dear friends. His name you probably wouldn't recognize, but it's John, by the way. And he's coming next week to teach here. Now, because of this, we thought this would be a great experiment, okay? Because we've actually told the seminary we will make this a morning side. Now the big change is, because I want you to have all the time with John you can, we're going to go from 7 to 8 instead of 7.30. We'll have a regular morning side like you would at the seminary. And we'll start from 7 to 8. And I'm sure there'll be treats. Right. Can we try this experiment? Could each one of us send some kind of a mass text to all of our friends, put on Facebook and all that stuff, and then see how many of the people at Riverton High we can contact, and any other friends you want to be here next Friday morning, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, so you can have a chance to hear John speak. Does that sound fun? I love experiments like this. It's so great. So let's get the word out. 7 o'clock next week, it will be a great privilege. There'll be a few times when we'll be away, and I'll bring in some of my best friends to come and speak to you because they all think you're that important. Why would John drive all the way out here at 7 o'clock on a Friday morning to be with you? Um, I'll tell you, when I talked to him on the phone, he said, really? I get a chance to come talk to the youth? As if he never gets a chance, right? Anyway, really fun. So that's, is anybody excited about that? Yeah, just a little. Okay, me too. I'm just sorry I can't be here. It'll be great. Now, somehow, last week we gave you a wonderful little challenge. 
And some of you are here for the first time, but our challenge is, and we have more of those little sheets today, to start consistently reading in the Book of Mormon every day. I had been doing that. I had been reading in the Book of Mormon consistently, and one night I had poured over some of my favorite scriptures and been reading just before I was leaving on a trip. The next morning, I was leaving early, early. I got on an airplane. We were flying out at 6.15 a.m. from good old Salt Lake Airport. So I climbed on the plane and sat down and just got settled in my chair. Sitting next to me was another passenger, and I thought, I'll bet we could have a nice gospel conversation. I'll bet we could do that within three questions. This was fun. So I said, what's your name? And she told me. I said, so where are you from? And she told me. And then I said, so what do you do? Right? Three simple questions, right? And then I got quiet. And she turned to me and said, what's your name? I thought, yes, one question. I told her my name. And she said, where are you from? I said, Salt Lake. I'm actually not from Salt Lake. I'm from Salt Lake Valley because I live in Salt Lake Valley, but I actually live in Bluffdale. But if I say Bluffdale, guess what happens? If people are from Utah, they think I live in the prison. And I have to explain to them, prison's in Draper. It is not in Bluffdale. And I have a little conversation with them about that. If they're not from Utah, they have no idea where Bluffdale is, and we have a geography lesson. And I don't want to sit around and talk about geography. I want to talk about the gospel, right? So I said, Salt Lake Valley. And she said... Are you Mormon? Just like that. I don't know why this came out. It just did. It just bubbled out of me. I said, no. If I were Mormon, I would be tall, strong, handsome, and powerful. And she looked at me with the strangest look and said, what? And I said, what do you think Mormon is? She said, I don't know. I thought it was a church or something. I said, no, 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 no. Mormon's a man, and he is amazing. He's my hero. Can I tell you about Mormon? And she said, I think you will, whether I say yes or not. Is that right? So we had this wonderful conversation. That bubbled out of me, I think, because I've been reading Mormon the night before. And Mormon is one of my amazing heroes. This man is fantastic. And when she said, are you Mormon? I just thought, oh boy, you just embarrassed Mormon to death. I think anyway, it was just this fun conversation. And, and all of a sudden I said, let me tell you about this man. Do you know any 10-year-old kids? And she said, I have one. I said, boy or girl? She said, boy. I said, what's he like? She said, complete energy with no direction. I said, yeah, I understand that. I said, my friend Mormon, when he was 10, had a prophet of God come to his house. Now, all of you imagine this. Anybody have a 10-year-old brother? Imagine someday, somebody coming by and it being President Monson and knocking on your door and saying, can I talk to your little brother who's 10 because I'm going to turn over all the plates and all the records we have to him because he's just so responsible. I said that to her and she said, he must be way different than my son. I said, yes, I understand that. He's 10. And the prophet came to him and said, I'm putting you in charge of all these records because you are sober of mind. Well, he must have been a lot more than sober of mind, right? And, and the Lord just saw in him this wonderful future. And she was amazed with that. And then I said, do you know any 13 or 14 year olds? And she started to cry. And I said, you must have one. She said, I do. She's 14. I said, so what's happening? She said, she's destroying her life. Her friends are the only thing that matter. And they're doing the stupidest things, and it's ruining her. I'm on this trip because I'm going to find, if I can find an appropriate inpatient facility to send my daughter to lock her up. 
I said, I don't think we're sitting next to each other by chance. And she said, really? I said, yeah. I have a book that has magnificent, powerful principles that would change the life of a 14-year-old so incredibly. She said, really? I said, would I kid you about this? She said, I guess not. I said, my friend Mormon, when he was 14, didn't have a single friend that cared about God or had a testimony or anything. He said, I don't even know a person that has a spiritual gift. He says that. The first spiritual gift listed in the Doctrine of Covenants is a testimony of the Savior. He said, I don't even have a single friend. If we had a wonderful opportunity like this in the morning, in Mormon's day, how many would come? Mormon. And probably nobody would be there to speak, so I'd have to speak to himself. I don't know. He doesn't even know anyone that had a spiritual gift. Can you imagine what that would be like to have all your friendship circle be people that were like that? And yet Mormon stayed so good, he saw the Savior when he was 15. I told her this. She said, I don't understand. I said, let me explain. But if your daughter knew what Mormon knew, it would change her life. And we had a wonderful conversation about that. And I opened a beautiful paperback copy of the Book of Mormon. And I showed her some specific passages that would change the life of a 14-year-old. She walked off the plane, hugging a copy of the Book of Mormon, and said, I promise I will read it. Thank you so much. Somehow treasuring up those words. In section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 85, it says, treasure up the words of eternal life, and you will be given in the very hour what you should say, what should be meted to every man. Ooh, this is important just to treasure up the words of eternal life, just to have a chance to think about it and read about it and, and have it in your heart and in your mind. One of you came in this morning and I said, what are you listening to? Because the earbuds were in. I said, general conference. I said, that is so awesome. You're amazing. Treasure up the words of eternal life. And what happens to us? And of all things today, we want to treasure up something that changed my life forever. How would you like to know a principle that could open the key, it's the very key to the door of heaven, that could open revelation into your life and change your personal ability to be able to hear the Spirit completely, that would bring you more happiness and joy and contentment in your daily life consistently? How would you like to know about something like that? And you could treasure it up a lot. Would that be good? Yeah, I think that would be really good. Maybe we can look at a few scriptures about it. So kind of have your wonderful little scriptures out there somewhere so we can be viewing these because they could make a great difference. Let me share with you a glimpse of this principle. Let's, have any of you ever seen a cheerleader scripture? Cheerleader scriptures are great. Let's look at Dr. Covenant 78, verse 19. This is one of the cheerleader scriptures. I love it. And we'd love somebody to run up here and read it. Shall we do that? Somebody want to run up here and read? Section 78, verse 19. While you're turning there, this volunteer, please, come up. Oh, yes, our scripture reader. You might as well sit on the stand every week so you can just come up and read all the time, right? This is amazing. See why I would call this a cheerleader scripture and see what the Lord's saying about this, Okay. And he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even an a hundredfold, yea, more. Awesome. Thank you. Why is that a cheerleader scripture? How does it end? Yay! Isn't that the way it ends? 
That's what it says. I don't know many scriptures that end, yay! <laughs> right? But this one does. He that receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made what? Glorious. And the things of this earth will be added unto him. Even a hundredfold, yea, more. Try Moroni, chapter 10, verse 3. You all know this already. You know these beautiful scriptures. But think about my brother Mor Moroni. He's been wandering around for how many years? Well over 20 years, absolutely alone. In the midst of that, he gets back to the plates and pours out his heart. And what does he say? Oh, I'm going to tell you about receiving revelation. I'm going to tell you something that's so important. And as he pours out his heart, chapter 10, verse 3, you know what he says, right? Somehow, when you, shall receive, when you shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that you should read them, I would that you should consider how merciful God has been from the beginning of time, even down until the time when you receive these things, and ponder it in your heart. Then he says your famous scripture about if you want to know the truth, ask. But what does he say first before if you want to know the truth, ask? He says, oh, think about how merciful God has been. Think about how grateful you should be. Think about something that would, if you do that, it'll open the doors of heaven. President Monson, in his very first talk he gave as president of the church on a Sunday morning in general conference, stood up and gave a magnificent talk about gratitude. Two years later, he gave another magnificent keynote talk about gratitude, and then he quoted himself from the talk he gave before that. I thought that was funny. It was awesome. A lot of the brethren quote each other, but he quoted himself. It was really good. And he just said, this is so important, and we've heard about it so much, but oh, this has changed my life. To live like this, to think like this, to really recognize his hand in all things and think about how blessed we could be. One more scripture. Turn to Mosiah chapter 2. Verse 20, King Benjamin is starting his magnificent talk, and as King Benjamin is pouring out his heart, he said, oh, if you could even consider, if every time, basically this verse says, I will paraphrase, if every time you breathe in, you breathe out gratitude. If all you did was express your thanks and praise to God every day, he was giving you breath and giving you the chance to live, you'd yet be an unprofitable servant. You couldn't be grateful enough for all the blessings you have. My wonderful friend Peter was so excited about his life. He was especially excited about his mission. He'd saved up all the money for his mission. He was ready to go, and this was going to be great. It's awesome. He's driving down the street. And in the midst of driving down the street, did we tell you about this wonderful story? In the midst of driving down the street, suddenly a car veered across the median. He was up talking to his friend till 1 o'clock in the morning because he was so excited. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, a drunk was out driving and veered across the street and slammed into his car. Blew his windshield out, blew his gas tank in half, the gas poured in all over him, the car spun around, blew up in flames, and he's trapped inside. By the time they got him out of the car, got the flames out, and took him to the hospital, 60% of his body was third-degree burns, 30% of his body was first and second degree. He was just burned all over his body. When they got him to the hospital and he first came in, they couldn't tell which side was his front because he was so charred. In the midst of this terrible moment, they couldn't find breathing, they couldn't find his heartbeat, so they pronounced him dead. Fifteen minutes later, he raised his arm as he came out of his coma. They realized he was alive and did everything they could to try to keep him alive. For four months, they worked on him every way they possibly could, but he was dehydrating, he, his infection was so great, his temperature was so high, they just never thought he was in a... a an induced coma, and he would come out now and again and hear him say, he can't live another day, and he would say, I'm going to live. I'm going to try hard to live. And he tried so hard to do that. 
Four months later, they brought him out of the coma and said, Peter, your heartbeat's stable for the first time your breathing's good. You are stable now. We can operate on you. I have 42 surgeries listed on this chart. Which one would you like done first? He said, that's easy. Cut the scar tissue away from my eyes and find it if I can see. So the next day they put him in surgery and gave him a general anesthetic and he was asleep for a long time. He didn't wake up till 11.30 that night. As he woke up all alone in his room, he felt the bandages on his head and he knew tomorrow morning they would take them off and find it if he could see. But he couldn't wait, so he reached up and ripped the bandages off his head, threw them on the ground, grabbed the mirror and picked it up and turned it up, pulled the gauze out of his eyes. The first thing Peter ever saw was his face. He hadn't been warned about this. They didn't think he was going to live. But his face had been burned off completely. He had no nose, no hair, no lips, no ears. Purplish scar tissue drawn across his face. And he realized the serious nature of this terrible accident. That this handsome, wonderful kid had become a monster. He dropped the mirror in his chest and started to cry. The nurse came up the side of his bed, hearing him crying, saw the bandages on the ground and the mirror in his arms and thought, oh no, he's going to go into shock. She came up to try to help him when she heard Peter say, Thank you, Heavenly Father. And she stopped and listened to a boy without a face. Say, thanks that I'm alive. Thanks that I can see. Thanks that I can walk. Thanks so much for my blessings. And Peter sat across from me in my office in Bountiful where I used to teach with his scar-laden face. He said, you know why I cried so much? I was just so thankful. And I thought deeply inside of me, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to do that. I don't want to have to go through what Peter went through to learn that. I just want to learn how to be really grateful and find that way to really find that kind of depth of happiness, perspective, purpose. It's amazing. Six years, Peter was in and out of the hospital grafting him back together. Six years. After six years, he finally, because he wanted to go on his mission so much, came and asked him if he could go. They said, no, you need, you need your eyelids grafted on first. So they graft on the eyelids. They graft on skin. They graft on twice as much as eventually be there because it shrinks. So they grafted on these big eyelids. And he put in his mission papers. And for the first six months of his mission, he would put honey on his eyelids and roll them up every day and put them up, tuck them in so he could go out and do missionary work. One of the first places he went to go, he was in Oakland, California. One of the first places he went on his mission was the hospital. They'd been teaching a young lady that had been in an accident and lost her eyesight. They walked in to teach her and she was not listening. Peter could tell. He'd been in the hospital a lot. He knew about this. He went over and grabbed her hand and slapped it on the side of his face and pressed it into every one of his scars. And they got to the eyelids and they drooped way down and she felt the eyelids and he, he just kept pressing her hand all the way across his face and said, I know what it's like to be in the hospital. I know what it's like to be in an accident. I know what you might be feeling. But right now, you are so caught up in what you don't have. You have forgotten what you do. Let me say that again. You're so caught up in what you don't have. You've forgotten what you do. One of the first people he ever taught the gospel on his mission was that girl in the hospital. One of the first people he ever baptized on his mission. In her baptismal day, she said, I see better now than I have ever seen before, even though I'm physically blind. Because she had learned how to really be grateful, to recognize what she had. I was standing with my beautiful daughter one day in Hawaii. Does this sound like a great story? We're standing there and it's beautiful and the, and the wind is blowing the palm trees and we're standing there and the soft surf is blowing over my feet and I'm holding her hand and it was gorgeous and I said, honey, what do you see? And she said, brown. 
just like that. I looked down at her and I said, Brown? And she said, yes. And I knelt down by her and she had her sand dollar right here in her eye and the other eye closed. And she's staring in her little sand dollar. And I thought, that's just like me. I look at my problems sometimes and all I see is brown. What do you mean nice? I mean, I said, give me the sand dollar. And she did. And I said, see it out here? And I put it down in the sand. I said, see what that looks like? And then I stood up and said, look up! Oh, I don't want to see brown in my life. Do you? Wouldn't it be great if we could see something different than that? If we could really recognize the amazing blessings we have and celebrate them every day? Somehow, my wife and I had an experience that changed our lives that way. A remarkable experience. Let me tell you about this much. Really changed my life. I had this darling little student who danced. Did I tell you about her? She loved to dance. She loved to dance in the school place. She danced all the time, and it was so fun. And she'd been dancing all day. In the midst of her dancing, she had weakened something in her back. On her way home that day, she's driving. And as she was driving, well, she was driving along, and it was awesome. And on her way, she was dancing while she was listening to music and driving. Let me explain that to you, brethren. Girls have music in their bones, and they dance when they drive, and it is very scary. I had sisters that used to do this, and they would be dancing when they drove, and it was just kind of hold onto the steering wheel, and you know, the car would, and it scared me to death. So when she said she was dancing when she was driving, it kind of frightened me. And she said, I was just driving and dancing, and all of a sudden I shifted my weight, and pow, this pain hit my back. And as it did, her arms paralyzed just like that. Her arms dropped in her lap. She's driving her car and her arms paralyzed. She can't steer anymore, so the car slammed into the curb. Her feet were still working. She stepped on the brake. But her arms, something pinched, and she couldn't move them. In the midst of this little moment, she's sitting there in the car with her arms on her lap crying. Somebody came by and rolled down the window and asked if they could help, and she explained what had happened. She was in the hospital the next day. Her legs were numb. Her arms wouldn't move. And her wonderful father came in and gave her a special blessing. Through your faith and the faith of your friends, you can be made whole. That's what he said in the blessing. Her friends at school heard about that. Just like all of you, they decided they would help. They all fasted the next day. It wasn't a typical fast. They didn't walk around and say, don't talk to me, I'm dying. I haven't eaten for 15 minutes. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a typical fast. They came in after school lunch and said my favorite line, which was, I missed school lunch today, and I've never felt better in my life. I forgot how bad that food really is. And they were laughing and having fun about it. And after school, they all gathered together, 187 of them. As they gathered together, we had this special prayer. Her brother led the prayer. His name was Bryce. And he said, please just join me. We all knelt down in this little room. And he said, Heavenly Father, she's an angel on earth. Please bless her that she can have this blessing. It was a beautiful day that day that they all fasted. About a week later, it was early in the morning, and I'm sitting quietly in my room studying. It was fun. I was at the seminary, and I'm studying the scriptures, and it was great. And suddenly, ah! You think it scared you? It scared me to death. Because all of a sudden, she came running around the corner, and she screamed at me. When she did, I just about went through the wall. I looked up, and she's running down the hallway, just happy as could be, coming down to see me. I ran out to meet her at the door, and she grabbed me and spun me around. She said, guess what? I said, I think I know what. And she said, it's all working again. I said, that's awesome. And then she said, but something weird happened to me in the hospital. My fingertips got hooked up to my tear ducts. 
I said, what? She said, I don't know, Brother A, it's just this weird thing because I wake up in the morning, I curl my fingers, and I start to cry just like that. I curl my toes, I start to cry some more. She said, and everything is different. She said, I'm the same person I was a week ago, but everything is different. I used to get up in the morning and walk in front of the mirror and say, how come you have 10 extra pounds, and how come your earlobes are weird? She actually said that. I thought, earlobes? Who cares about earlobes? She said, yeah, earlobes are weird. I said, you thought that? She said, yes. How come your hair doesn't? She said, I used to do that. Not now. I roll over and I kneel down. I just say, Heavenly Father, thanks that I can walk. Thanks that I can move my hands. She said, I can't even brush my teeth anymore. I said, why not? She said, I'm smiling too much that my hand is brushing my teeth. I said, oh, that's hard. She said, I brush my hair with my hand. I just sit there and say, I'm brushing my own hair with my own hand. It's great. And she said, it's just so exciting. I said, that's awesome. She said, I've never been this happy. It's amazing. And out she went. I thought, wow, what happened to her? What happened to her, right? She went to England that summer with her grandma. She's on a double-decker bus, right? She crawled up the stairs on one of those double-decker buses, stood at the top of the stairs like, I am the Olympic stair climber, and I just climbed these stairs with my own legs. And she sat down. And there's a couple on the back of the bus. They're on their honeymoon. They're from Canada. They're traveling Europe on their honeymoon. Should they be kind of happy? Maybe. But they looked at her and said, wow, she's really happy. So they walked up to her and said, why are you so happy? And she said, because my arms move and my legs move. How about you? They said, ours do too, but we're not happy like you. And she said, that's not really the reason I'm happy. I'm happy because I know there's a purpose to life, and I'll bet you wish you knew what it was too. They said, we've been talking for three days about the purpose of life. We've been trying to figure out if there was a purpose in life. You really think you know the purpose of life? She said, I don't think I know the purpose of life. I know I know the purpose of life. Sit down. And so they went around London together talking about the purpose of life. And they went to dinner that night and talked about the purpose of life. And she invited them to breakfast the next morning, and they talked about the purpose of life. And they spent two days of their honeymoon with her talking about the purpose of life. And they needed a ride to the airport. So her grandma gave them a ride to the airport. And they went down, and she said, I have two friends that live in your town in Canada. Their names are Elder and Elder, and they're awesome. And I'm going to send them over to see you, because then you can be happy like I'm happy. They said, oh, you've done so much already, and you don't need to do that, and thanks so much. And she said, well, here's my name and number in case you want it. And they left, but they didn't give her theirs, and they were gone. That next fall, I was sitting in my office one morning, and all of a sudden she came running in again. And happily come running down the hall and she said, I said, what now? She said, I am so happy. I said, oh, you're always happy. She said, no, I'm happier than that. I said, oh, this is dangerous. I said, why are you so happy? She said, you know that family I talked about on the bus that I talked to? I said, yeah. She said, they called me last night. The whole family got baptized, including their parents. She said, you know how it makes me feel? I said, uh-huh. She said, ha-ha, I'm going to go find somebody else. <laughs> and out she went. Because having yourself is not good enough. You just got to share it and it makes it better. There's something about this beautiful principle that you just can't hold it in when you really feel grateful. My darling wife and I had a wonderful friend that lived minutes from here. Some of you might even have known her. Her name was Pam. Pam contracted cancer, was in the hospital. She had six children. She had a beautiful picture of her six kids by her side in the hospital. We walked in one day together, and as we did, she looked so rough. Her hair had all fallen out. She had a bandana tied around her head. She's puffy from the chemotherapy. And we walked in the room. 
as we did, I'm sure it showed on her face that she looked so rough. She looked up and said, looks like you need to be cheered up a little bit. We said, no, no, really, we came to cheer you. She said, let me show you my Miss Clairol commercial. That was a shampoo back then. And she said, now remember, she had no hair, right? So she grabs a bandana and pulls it off her head. She has three little strands of hair sticking out the top of her head, right? She said, I use Miss Clairol every night. And then she ran her fingers through her three little strands of hair. And she said, it makes my hair so fine. And all of a sudden, we started to laugh. And then we continued to laugh. And then she went into this wonderful routine, and it was so fun. And finally, she looked and said, Scott, what happens when your hair falls out? I said, I don't know. She said, your eyebrows fall out. I said, I guess that's true. What happens when you don't have eyebrows? I said, I don't know. She said, when you perspire, it goes right in your eye. I said, I guess that's true, too. <laughs> she said, when's the last time you were thankful for eyebrows? I said, it's been a long time. She said, you need to repent. I said, I know. People tell me that all the time. I left that day and I went down to teach at the university where I was teaching and I walked down the hall. One of my students went by and said, how you doing, brother? And I said, fantastic, I've got eyebrows, what else can I be? They looked at me like, you are strange. But I thought about my eyebrows that whole day and I thought about how wonderful they were. Eyebrows are amazing. Hold your eyebrows completely still and act surprised. You can't do it <laughs> because your eyebrows have to show surprise. They have to go, wow, it's great. They're expressive and they're a wonderful little cleansing agent and they're awesome. And for you ladies, they're a wonderful little decorative thing you use, right? But, you know, somehow in the midst of all that stuff, I had my prayer that night and as strange as it seems, I said, Heavenly Father, thanks for my eyebrows. I love my eyebrows. I've just never realized, right? The next day I had an elbow day. Her elbow was tied down, so I decided, what would happen if you couldn't bend your elbows? So I drove to work without bending my, don't do this. It is very dangerous. It was early in the morning, and I somehow survived, but I drove to work. That night I came home and said to my children, we're not bending our elbows while we eat dinner. They said, Dad, you are so strange. I said, don't lock them and don't bend them. So they tried all kinds of things. They picked up their food and threw it. They picked up their food and dropped it. They put their hands out to the side and face in the plate and ate. Don't ask me why my children didn't feed each other. I don't know. Um, but somehow, locking the elbows, and we had a wonderful evening where we celebrated that, and that night I knelt down and said, Heavenly Father, thanks for my elbows. Do you know you could think of a different blessing every day for the rest of your life and never begin to run out? Do you know you could never be grateful enough for what Heavenly Father's given us? And yet, we have not only all of that, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ most amazing blessing that gives us his perfect perspective. We have the opportunity to share it with others and bless them forever. I testify to each one of you. This principle has changed my life. Every day trying to live in gratitude and trying to live in the spirit of gratitude, the attitude of gratitude, and to see life that way. What would it be like if today we just celebrated our blessings, just celebrated it all, and thought how deeply we are blessed? For I testify if we do that, it can make so much difference in the way we live every day. And we radiate this joy about life and people want to know why you're happy and you get to share it. It's amazing. I am so grateful for the gospel. I'm so grateful for my Heavenly Father and know He lives. So grateful for the magnificent gift of the atonement and know it's real. And leave that with you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you take two minutes, turn to a neighbor, and tell him something for which you're especially grateful? And then my darling wife is going to talk to you for a minute. Okay, take one minute, turn to your neighbor, and talk about something for which you're especially grateful.
Okay, just quickly, because I know it's time to leave, we wanted you, because we love you so much, to know that we've made you a gift. This is called lesmissionprep.blogspot.com, and it's going to be our class blog, and we'd love you to participate. So when you open it up, the first thing you see is McKay's picture, and underneath is an invitation to comment and let us know what things you would like to know how to do to prepare for your mission. Everything from how to give a good mission handshake to sewing on a button to learning how to study. You study a lot when you're on your mission. And so we have a list of things and we'd love you to contribute and let us know what you would like to do in the 26 weeks that we have together because we are because we are going to hopefully carry this class through May. Um, <clears throat> then also, we would invite you to purchase a copy of Preach My Gospel if you don't have one already. I want you to know that these copies that you study with and bring them to class and we'll use them will become very precious to you. Our grandson, McKay's brother and Spencer's brother, that is in Malaysia on his mission, of course, he had to learn a new language. He sent home and said, please, send me my copy of Preach My Gospel that I took notes in and that I studied in as I prepared for my mission. So, and on the blog, it tells you where you can purchase those if you would like to do that. It's also online, but we'd love to have something you can write in and, and take notes in. And also, if you want to, bring your scriptures these kind that you actually hold and turn pages, if you would like to, so we can take notes and mark scriptures and things like that. Okay, you with me? Awesome. We have one minute left, and I'd like to invite my daughter up. She's here from BYU to visit us this morning, and she has served a mission, and I want to just pump you up for a minute about missions. Jen, come on up. Hi guys, happy Friday, woo! Um, missions, 30 seconds or less, I love missions. Besides like being true to the faith and like eventually finding someone to marry for eternity, a mission is probably the best choice you'll make if you can go. It is awesome guys. I know and I testify that the Lord will help you on your mission and he'll provide opportunities for you to touch people's lives and help them feel the love of Jesus Christ. I know that Jesus Christ loves you and he's watching over you and even today he will put people in your path that bless you and that also you can be that person for someone else. Um, I love missions because you get to share the love of Jesus Christ and I know that love is real and I hope you guys feel that today. I hope you felt that from coming to Mission Prep. Um, ah, there's so many good things to talk about. Um, members are wonderful. Everything is wonderful. Missions are really hard, but they're so worth it. I think the best thing you can do to prepare is to love other people and to study your scriptures. Do those two things and just um, enjoy your life now. Share with people now. Because that love, that love is what will carry you through. And that's the love of our Savior. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you for being here. We'll have a closing prayer. Um, do we have a volunteer for that? Yes, you, Kaden. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful day.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this wonderful day today to be able to come to mission prep and to learn something new. And please bless that we may be able to apply it in our lives and apply it when we go on our missions. And please bless that we will all have a good day at school today and that no harm or accidents will come upon us. And we say these things, name Jesus Christ, amen. Next week, 7 a.m., John, by the way, here, spread the word. And grab a donut on your way out. Yeah, she's been home from a mission for a year, and she's not new. Are you? Yeah. So, so good. Yeah, so great. Gorgeous girl. Thanks for coming. She is. <laughs> what a great day.